thank you. I'm really uh, glad you decided to take part in our worship celebration this morning, whether you're online or, or on site. I uh, appreciate your being a part of this. And this week I read a, uh, an excerpt from uh, a writing. I don't know if it's a poem or not. It, when I was going to school, poems all, all had to rhyme, you know, you had the rhyming and the meter, and, and now all of a sudden, it doesn't have to. You just print it a certain way and, and, and call it a poem, and it's poetry. I, I don't know. I wish it was like that when I was in school, because I could have written this stuff. <laughs> that other, there's the, I have. I have more problems with it. It's 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 a little thing called hunger uh, hunger beyond food. It's by Sarah Miles, uh, and it was inspired by Mary's uh, uh, statements, uh, her song that we read from this morning from Luke chapter one. Um, and, and this is just an excerpt from it. She says, "At the heart of Christianity is a power that continues to speak to." and transform us. As I found to my surprise and alarm, it could speak even to me. Not in the sappy Jesus and cookies tone of mild-mannered liberal Christianity or the blustering, blaming hellfire of the religious right. What I heard and continue to hear is a voice that can crack religious and political convictions wide open that advocates for the least qualified, least official, least likely, that upsets the established order. It proclaims that the hungry will be fed, that those cast down will be raised up, and that all things, including my own failures, are being made new. It offers grace without exception, to the worthy and unworthy, the screwed up and the pious, and then commands us all to do the same. Well, after uh, after two years of chaos and confusion and craziness, it seems to me this desperately this world desperately needs this kind of transformation. Uh, that makes all things, even our own failures and our own mess and our own problems, new and whole. I want to experience more of this kind of transformation. I am just frankly sick and tired of the way things are. And I, it, it's a good thing that we're starting a brand new year with Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I. I'm glad to hear that some of you are ready for something new, too. Uh, there is hope for us, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 10, and the author of Hebrews gives us an explanation of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 5 through 18. Uh, Hebrews is unique. It's, it's a letter, but it's more like a sermon. Uh, it's not not like a standard letter. It doesn't open up with, uh, hi, this is the person it's from, and this is the people it's to, 
and doesn't have the standard opening greetings and blessings, and it just kind of just dives right in, uh, and it acts more like a sermon. It does end with some of the same kinds of things that Paul would normally, uh, and others would end their uh, letters with, but it's just, it's, we really have no idea who wrote it. Um, there are some, there are some early interesting theories, but nobody knows. Um, and so, uh, but basically the premise is this, as far as we can understand, it's written to Christians, followers of Jesus, who had a Jewish background, and were facing persecution, and were tempted to go back to just, to, to, to just downplay following Jesus enough to stop being persecuted. To, to just really focus on Jews, be Jewish, and not be so much Jesus, so that everybody would leave them alone. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them to say, okay, but that's like saying you've got the very best possible things that you can ever get, but you're going to downplay them because, well, you just don't want anybody to notice. His, his whole premise is, with Jesus, you've got the best that God could possibly give you. Why on earth would you want to abandon him or play downplay him or ignore him? And he's in the middle of that kind of discussion here in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 18. Verse 5 starts with the word, therefore. I was taught a long, long, long time ago that whenever you see the word therefore when you're reading, particularly when you're reading in your Bibles, you should stop and ask, what's it there for? Uh, this therefore is there to point back to the first paragraph, the first four verses of chapter 10. And the first four verses basically tell us that the law that Moses gave that these people were tempted to go back to could never, by those same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, day after day, make perfect the people who came near to try to draw near to worship. They 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 did they helped, but they didn't do all they were supposed to do. Therefore. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Here I am to do your will. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, for you were, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So I want to pause for a moment. I want, to, I want you to understand the issue was not with a failure to follow the correct procedures and traditions regarding the sacrifices. The sacrifices simply did not do everything God wanted 
to be done for us. They were something to prepare God's people for Jesus and what he had in store and what he was going to do. So they were never intended to be the end of things. They were the preparation. It's kind of like some of you have probably been making cookies. It's kind of, the sacrifices were like mixing up the dough. Some I know this from watching my wife, not from my own personal participation, my own personal anticipation, but not participation. <laughs> Some of the dough has to be left in the refrigerator overnight before you fix it and bake it in the oven. Seems weird to me, but who am I to argue with results? <laughs> the sacrifices were like that. They made it, it's like making the dough. But the cookies aren't baked yet. Now I know there are a lot of people who like to eat raw cookie dough. To whom I want to say salmonella. It's okay. I still eat it. It's okay. Yes. Dying, dying of severe intestinal cramps is okay. Well, that's not okay with me. That's all right. I just don't want it. Uh, yeah. But baked cookies taste a whole lot better than raw dough, in my personal opinion, okay? The, the dough is meant to be cooked and baked. That's where the sacrifices were. The sacrifices were like the dough. They were good for what they were for, but they weren't the end. Jesus was the end. And here the author is saying to these people, why would you settle for something that's not finished? When you've got the end product. Then he goes on in verse 9. So the issue was not the fact that they weren't doing the sacrifices correctly. I want to repeat that. The issue was that the sacrifices weren't doing all that God intended because Jesus was going to do all that God intended. The verse 9. Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He, Jesus, sets aside the first, the sacrifices, to establish the second, doing God's will. So going back to the cookies, he sets aside the dough so he could bake them, to finish them. And by that will, the will that he came to do, God's will, by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. To be made holy. Boy, that sounds scary. Uh, so let's clarify that. To be made holy means to be set apart or to brought closer to God. It involves, first of all, wholeness and healing for our brokenness, as well as forgiveness and transformation of our character. We are made holy by Jesus' sacrifice, not by our efforts to follow a list of rules and traditions. 
Oh boy. I grew up in a whole in, in a church that spent a whole lot of time telling us about all the things that we had to do. And, and, well, there were about that many, and all the things we can't do to be holy. And I'm not sure I got all of them when I do this. We we had the list. You know you're holy because you do X Y Z. You know one of the ones that I hated. Honestly, I hated. One of the ones I hated growing up was you're a holy because you don't play football on Sunday afternoon at family camp. What? You're either taking a nap or going to the Sunday afternoon service like all the good God-loving people at this campground. <laughs> really? I think if Jesus was here, he'd love to bounce a few people off. <laughs> Some of us like that. Contact. Right, Ben? I knew Ben would. <laughs> we like to bounce off of each other. It's a good way to refresh ourselves. That was one of those rules I did not like. I hated it. But that's how you knew you were holy. You didn't play football on Sunday afternoon at family camp. Not playing football on Sunday afternoon at family camp has nothing to do with being holy. Being holy is what Jesus does for us through his sacrifice for us. He changes us. He makes us whole. W-H-O-L-E and... Holy W H oh What? That's confusing. Verse eleven. He goes back to this. He's, he keeps the author goes back and forth between these two two systems in, in contrast. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Those sacrifices that are like that raw cookie dough. But when this priest, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, when Jesus offered his sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God because he was gone. And since that time, he waits for all of his enemies to be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Wow. Now, there's some, there's some words in there we really have to understand. Because what we mean when we say perfect and what that author of Hebrews meant when he said, or she said, by the way, perfect is different to be made perfect from the author's perspective and from the perspective of the people who first heard and read this is to become what God created us to be it is for example how, I'm not, don't raise your hand but how many of you know that you can actually use a hammer to put a screw in a wall 
But how many of you know that a screwdriver is a better way to do it? In fact, a screwdriver is the perfect way to do it. Assuming it's a Phillips screwdriver and you're using a Phillips screw, you know, you got the right head on the screwdriver and the screw. They match. That's a perfect, because they're made to go together. Don't ever, I, I have, I'm just going to tell you from personal experience, don't ever try to use a screwdriver to put a nail in the wall. <laughs> it's painful. You know, that handle looks like it's like, like, the, like the head of a hammer, but nobody in their right mind holds the head of the hammer like right there because you slip off the nail and guess where that ends up? In your hand. Yeah. Okay, so don't do that. So the tools, tools are made to do specific things. We are made to be specific things. Made by God to be of specific things. We are made to specifically be in a personal relationship with him. He created the entire universe so we would have a place to live because we need a place to live. We can't just be nowhere. We have to be somewhere. And we have to be here. So he created the universe for us to have a place to live so that he could have a relationship with us. That's what we were created for. And a lot of times our brokenness and our sin gets in the way. And it's the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that takes away all of the brokenness and the sin that gets in the way so that we can have the relationship we were created to have. That's how we're made perfect. So instead of rebels, the power of Jesus' sacrifice transforms us into God's loyal sons and daughters. Jesus makes us more and more holy, more whole and more healed, more forgiven and more transformed until one day we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to be like him. So we're in this process of, as we've become, gone into the relationship with him, we're in the daily process of growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being transformed. But it all grows out of that one sacrifice that he made for us. By one sacrifice, he's made us perfect. He's made us what God intended us to be. As long as we're in that growing of becoming more whole and more like him. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Many as their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. So as part of the process of, of him making us, of changing us, of changing our character, transforming us, he not only forgives us, but he begins to imprint and program into us his ways of thinking and acting and relating to others and to him. Then he says in verse 18, 
And where these have been forgiven, not simply covered up by the sacrifices or excused, but where these have been truly forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So the priest doesn't need to make another sacrifice because our priest made one sacrifice, his own body, life, on the cross. And that's all it takes to make us what God wants us to be. So, kind of a summary question what can Jesus' sacrifice do for us? There's power in Jesus' sacrifice to transform us. <clears throat> so, in fact, the sermon and sentence this morning is Jesus' sacrifice gives us the power to do God's will. Many people calling themselves Christians live as though. Jesus' sacrifice has no more power than the law has given to Moses. It's, it's like we, well, we're forgiven and it's nice, and now we're in this kind of a holding pattern. So someday we're going to go to heaven and it will all work out eventually. Maybe, hopefully. You know, but it, it'll be okay. But there is power in Jesus' sacrifice to transform us. His sacrifice gives us the power to do God's will. He can make us everything that God plans for us to be. So why do we get stuck? Because pretty obvious, well, we all get stuck from time to time, and a lot of us are stuck. What prevents us from experiencing the power of Jesus' sacrifice? Well, some of us are just plain oblivious. Uh, we, we don't know about experiencing the power of Jesus' sacrifice. Somewhere along the line, it wasn't explained to us that that was what was going to happen. You know, somebody came to us and said, smile, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but unfortunately, you've sinned and you're not going to make it. Unless, of course, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Here, pray this prayer. Okay, now you're going to go to heaven. You got your ticket. See you later. In the sky, by and by. You got it. And they didn't bother to say, oh, by the way, if you are going to follow Jesus, it's going to turn your whole world inside out and upside down, and well, actually, right side up, because you've been living upside down. A lot of people don't know. They're oblivious to the fact that if you start following Jesus, it's going to change everything. Other people are living in denial. We don't want to experience the power of Jesus' sacrifice because we plain like living upside down. I've always been this way. I like being this way. If you don't like me this way, that's your problem. Well, you can say that to me, but if you're saying that to Jesus, you've got some problems that I don't want for myself. Some of us are impatient. 
We don't want to experience the power of Jesus' sacrifice now, and we're not willing to take the time to let it work itself out. Remember, we're made perfect by a sacrifice. We're made to end it, we're brought into that relationship God created us to have as we're being made more and more like Him. That's an ongoing process. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, by the renewing of our minds, a continual transformation of our lives. And some of us just want it all now. And some of us get so impatient that we just say, well, this is all there is. Now, some of us get discouraged when we think that that's all there is. We, we can't experience the power of Jesus' sacrifice on our own terms. We want it. We want it now. We want it the way we want it. We want it how. Here's the deal. Jesus is the one that has to change us. He does it on his timetable and in his way. Did you notice the theme though going through all of those? It's our heart issue. It's our problem. We want to remain in control. We want to give Jesus instructions on what to do with us and how to do it and when to do it and whether or not we want it to be done. That's, first of all, why we needed him to come and do this, make a sacrifice for us. Because we have this rebellious streak that wants to be in charge. That attitude is the source of all of our brokenness. We don't recognize it many times, but it is. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the cross, where he gave himself for us, is the solution and it is the cure for us. C.S. Lewis wrote the central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. Now, the, the theologians love to argue as to exactly how that works. All I know is I love the way he says, look, somehow, Jesus sacrificed for us, but it's right with God. He made us what God wanted us to be, and has given us a fresh start, and we can live in it. Why did that work? It's kind of like my computer. I know where the power button is. How the key, I know the keyboard works and the mouse works, and when they don't work, I buy new ones. You know, I, I understand. I do not. I had enough. I had like three or four weeks of computer programming when I was in college, and that's all I need to know ever. Ever. 
Somebody else needs to do that stuff. Not me. I got a headache just looking at it. I don't know how computers work, but I use them. I even carry one in my pocket. You do too if you have a phone. I don't know. How does Jesus' death change our relationship with God? I don't know. All I know is he does. And it changes who we are. It changes our character. There's power in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to transform us. Not just that. To make us okay. Not just to give us a ticket so that someday, somehow, we'll be able to go live with him in the sky. There's power in his sacrifice to transform us and to, to live and do his will. He can make us into everything that God plans for us to be. Everything that he plans for us to be. And once we recognize Jesus is our king, we can join him in saying, and we can say to God the very same thing that Jesus said, here I am. I have come to do your will. Here I am to do your will. And so this, this is what I would like to encourage you to do, kind of as a practical application. I'm going to invite you that each time you enter a building, house, store, church, office, whatever, each time you enter a building so the next seven days, when you say a simple little prayer, here I am to do your will. Lord, here I am to do your will. And then just watch for an opportunity to love somebody in Jesus' name. Let's pray. As I'm praying, I want to encourage you to feel free to, to make this prayer your prayer. Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. Jesus, you are my friend. Thank you for the power of your sacrifice for us. Thank you for all you have done and are doing in our lives. Continue to transform us day by day until we become like you. Transform our desires to match your desires. Transform our thoughts match your thoughts. Give us your eyes to see those who are broken around us so we can share your love with them. Oh Jesus, fill our words and actions with your compassion, grace, and